Good day, listeners, and welcome to today's episode of Say Word. And Say Word is a podcast that we started, and the goal is to inform, to offer diverse perspectives. And as you know, add a touch of humor where appropriate to events happening in Toronto and in our world that our listeners can connect with. And I'm your host, Ahmed, as usual. And helping me make today's episode a success, we got a couple of guests joining us today, but we got our resident usuals. We got Hirsch and we got Batter. Hirsch, a.k.a. the silent fart detector. And we got Batter, a.k.a. having a moment of clarity. And we got our two guests today. We got Woodley, a.k.a. Mr. Make It Happen. Woodley, we're excited to have you. And we got my brother Yusuf, author and podcast host. Welcome, brothers. Glad to be on. Yeah, thank you for having me on your guys' podcast. Glad to have you. What are you, I always like asking guests uh, before we, we start or before we kick off the episode, what are you most excited about in joining today's episode? I'll go first. Um, I'm excited to, because I listened to the podcast prior. Great energy. Uh, always the great topics. It flows naturally. And I like the, the camaraderie with the people that run the podcast. So that's what I like about it. Yeah, I would say, you know, just being able to, yeah, that camaraderie, like he mentioned, and also, you know, just being able to exchange ideas, discuss different perspectives. You know, my brother, sometimes he clowns me, he says, I spend too much time in uh, echo chambers. So, you know, we'll see. (laughs) Sometimes it's good to hear different perspectives. And, you know, we learn from each other, right? So that should be fun. We're excited. Word, word, yeah. We're excited to have you both. We're excited to have you both. And we'll, we'll kick off with our first fun topic for today. Now, every now and then we find ourselves at a crossroad or at a crossroads rather, uh, where we have to pick between less than, at least here in Canada, Woodley, we have to pick between less than a handful of home phone and internet services providers. So when I say when I'm saying that I'm talking about internet, mobile services, cable, and in our household, we still have our home phone. So it's you know, it's just something we can't let go. And just like everything else with the rate of inflation, everything around our home phone services is continuing to go up, right? Bell every year will give me, will send me the text message. Hey, your services are going to be going up and we're doing it in relation to improving customer experience, infrastructure, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I find myself, you know, every now and then having to carve out, you know, maybe it's about a few hours challenging it using creativity and old school and old fashioned negotiation. So, i.e., I will cancel if you don't get me my ideal price point. So my question is, is, is out to the group. What's what's been your approach to, to, to negotiating with with home services providers? Do you find more success with the good cop approach? Me being a nice guy, I have. Or does the bad cop approach work? And and, and and what's your win-loss record if, you, if you've been tracking that? Yeah, I would say for me, I, I normally come well-informed. So I have all, you know, I have all my receipts, all my information on their competitors and my information on what am I getting out of the deal. So when I'm coming with a particular price point that I would like, uh, knowing that that it's a fair price point and not necessarily trying to abuse that 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 provider to to get them to do a ridiculously low price but you know my my win-loss record is pretty high because i'm always coming with some good information to justify my case and i'm sure being in the u.s you have more options you have more variety to pick from no oh absolutely 
a lot of people are actually shifting from just having that home phone to everybody in the household having cell phones. Not in our household, man. Um, we can't let go of the house phone. We need it for, <laughs> for the long distance calls to the US. But here in um, Canada, actually, we have literally, at least in Ontario, in the province of Ontario, we have, I would say what, maybe less than a handful of services provided, like Rogers and Bell being just the two main ones. And then yeah, you yeah, have like other yeah. ones that are like, where the services, services yeah. subpar, like you're not gonna be able to work from home with some of the internet providers. So weirdly enough, I didn't know that until I went and lived and like visited other countries. So like when I went to the United States and I saw how cheap it was just to get like uh, uh, unlimited data, <laughs> I was like, what is that? I didn't understand that. And I came back and I I'm then started hearing like there's this whole economy around like haggling for a better phone bill. So I was late to the party. So I didn't know that you, you had to be doing this every year until it started going up. So like it's, it's just crazy to me like like it's a it's it's such a cultural thing here and i go to other other places and i explain it to them and they're like why would you do that why would you pay that much for your bill <laughs> you know so uh around here around these parts we call them robbers wireless i don't know if you guys mm-hmm. are aware of that <laughs> so we ain't got think, options we ain't got options i, I think we got to give woodley some perspective in terms of what we pay because um and we can compare so for rogers one of their recent internet packages they have a promotion currently going on that would make it 84 dollars before tax and then it would be in the range of like 90 98 bucks or, or something around there once you add up all the fees so woodley for your internet service home internet service um would you expect to pay around that much on a monthly basis? How much, how, how fast is that? And are you working with fiber or are you working with? Yes, fiber. That's fiber. I think it's like 500 megabyte upload speed. All right, I'm going to give you some perspective. So please, please. commercial business. So I'm, I'm inside our, our facility. Co- commercially, you could expect to pay about $99 a month for five. <laughs> what I mean? Do you see what I mean? <laughs> Bro, we're paying that as like the, your average draw on the block. And that's the promotion price is what I told you. So you only pay that for a year. And then it goes up to, I think it was like $30 off. And taxes here are 13%. 13%. 13. Not- and I'll give you some perspective about the phone. The reason why it is favorable to do that, get rid of the house phone, because a lot of cell phone providers here, they offer that free long distance, at least to Canada. So yeah. you can wow. call Canada for wow. free. Yes. You guys don't right. pay this, man. You, you guys just throw really? this in as part of the bundle. Really? <laughs> it's like we've seen fire for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any cousins in the tundra, you can call them if you want. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, long, long, distance, long distance for yeah, yeah. phone packages is like a 20 30 dollar add-on so yeah, yeah, vo- yeah voice over ip that bad boy okay let me get to the heart of the question that i was asking in terms of approach could come back up what comes to mind when i call customer service is that george bush quote that he doesn't <laughs> negotiate with terrorists so over the years over the years i swear i've tried to take a nice approach 
like talk to them respectfully and you know try to get somewhere but the problem is i find it's a war of attrition so if you notice when you call customer service the man that you're talking to can barely do anything he has to forward you to another department so you move you kind of feel like oliver twist like sharing your sob story with three to four people before you can finally get somewhere so i'll tell you my currently <clears throat> i'm moving i'm in the process of moving right rogers uh which is my current provider i have a grandfather plan perfect payment record three years no missed payments everything everything on point i told them that i'm moving and the guy goes okay you can move he goes i need to open up a new account and i said why do you need to open up a new account I'm moving, so I don't want to lose all the benefits of my previous account. And he said, oh, this is company policy. We have to move you up to like our current current plan because you can't pay the grandfather plan. I said, all right, cool, what is that? He said $30 more, $30 more, just for the sake of moving. And then I asked him, I said, okay, $30 more is quite a lot. Um, maybe what I could do is tone down the amount of internet that I use. So let me get the less, like the plan with the less speed. And if you can believe it, the plan with the less speed costs more than the plan with more speed. So he told me, it's <laughs> like, I could do a special promotion on the more juiced up package. But if you want to go lower, then you have to actually pay more. And they figured it out. They figured, they figured it, out. it out. They figured it out. They said, we're going to eliminate Psychological warfare. <laughs> well, I think there's more context. So Woodley, we get these things just like randomly, there'll be a promotion shared across all of the providers. So that promotion for the higher speed makes it cheaper because they basically knock down like $30 off your price. They say you get a gigabyte free or something like that. And then they just knock it off your price. But then two years later, that comes off, that promotion comes off and it's just substantially higher. So the, not only did he, he didn't get the grandfather plan, he, he also got scammed kind of. <laughs> yeah, so, I got scammed, straight up, straight up. So yeah. me, uh, the thing is like- It happens said, to everyone, by the way, like just randomly your plan gets canceled. Oh, sorry, sorry, I don't know. But we don't have that plan anymore. We got to set you up again. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. It happens and to everybody. Shots, bro, there's shots fired sometimes. I remember calling once and I said, um, I, oh, I just want to know, like, I got charged more this month. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we made a mistake on our end. We'd like to correct it. So sorry about that. You're going to get credited for that. But by the way, your plan runs out. So next next time, you're gonna, your bill is going to be higher by 20 bucks. <laughs> so I called about a, a $7 difference. And then I ended up finding out that I'm going to get overcharged from here on moving out. So that's why I, I just, I can't be nice to these guys, man. I can't be nice to them. I find like, if I talk to them sternly, um, uh, it, it works out better. I always get an interaction number. I always get a first name. I always let them know like, yo, you're on, you know, like, because they, they tell you this call is being recorded for quality service purposes, right? So they're they're putting you on notice. So I only feel like it's fair for you to put them on notice, right? Hundred um, percent. And the thing is, I don't know. He, it's susceptible to human error. So sometimes you talk to these guys, and I'm sure you guys have the situation too. They don't even write down what it is that you're telling them to do. And then when you call back, they say, "Oh, our last agent 
didn't say you wanted that, so we can't give you that. And I always that happens that. all the time. You guys, exactly. You guys should There's fire your last agent. <laughs> there's no it's notes. Probably there's a tactic. No, it's like there's no tactic. notes of any interaction. So when you no. go back and you tell them this is what we discussed last time, it's foreign to them. It's like, oh, this is our first time hearing that this is what you want. There's no notes on file. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like you always hear them on the keyboard clicking away. So it's like, what are you typing? Like, yeah, guys, you know what I do when when I'm getting a raw deal on on a customer service call like that, and I know that they could do better. I just hit them with, okay, okay, and then I'll be like, all right, that's all for today, and I'll call back. If I get the same thing, I'll be, I'll hit them with okay again, then I'll call back again. You're most likely gonna get to somebody who who truly can have is centered around customer service, and that can help you. So a lot of times they're just they're just trying to meet a quota or something. But sometimes mm-hmm. you hit, get to a supervisor or somebody that's green in the company, and they'll just take care of you. So it's it's kind of and like crazy- manipulating it a little bit. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that, too, because, like, the higher up the ladder you go, like, you know, like, they have, like, these loyalty and retention departments, right? They try to reduce callbacks. So if you're taking that approach and you keep calling back, it actually is a ding on the previous agents. So the next agent that you get, they want to avoid that callback. So it's more in their interest to want to help you. This is what I heard from people who worked in loyalty and retention at the time, is that they can actually see the amount of callbacks that a particular number makes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a stack called first call resolution. Yeah. So the more if you take that approach, the more you call back. I mean, that agent might want to just nip it in the bud and more likely and they're more likely to give you what you want. So that could be a tactic. But since we have such a monopoly, these guys are bold, right? It's tough. Yeah. It's not like in the States or they're they're really concerned. There's so much competition. Like I've had calls where I say, like, yo, I'm gonna leave you guys. And the man said, okay, like, let's move forward with closing your account. I said, whoa, whoa, like, let's take a step back here. (laughs) (laughs) Why do we have to escalate so fast, you know? (laughs) So uh, I think they have some... it real goes wrong. Yeah, it's crazy how they get away with this because they would say price fixing is not allowed, but they literally all price fix yeah exactly like they if you go on their websites all the plans all the promotions are all the same so they're literally all price fixing so who is monitoring this <laughs> patience first call resolution and and my favorite you don't negotiate with terrorists <laughs> never our gems taken from today's oh. topic our second fun topic is around networking and networking is something that we all know as it's not about what you know but it's about who you know and, you know, there's there's some truth to that. And I'm sure for many of us, a lot of opportunities that we've probably all landed on was just based on knowing the right person um, who could act as a insider, influencer, or maybe their decision maker, et cetera. And there's a lot of really good advice out there when it comes to networking and a lot of bad advice and even things I've just picked up along the way that I've noticed and I haven't read it or heard it from anywhere. Woodley, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you likely have to network a lot. It's probably critical to the health of your business. And you're someone that I consider as a student of body language, energy, in both personal and professional settings, or in layman's terms, a person with keen instincts about other people. 
What are some of the lessons you've taken, whether it's specific to networking, building your business and engaging with others professionally? And what have you found has been the most helpful in getting others to either pay for your services or, you know, act as a referral to, to other decision makers? So I know you come from a sales background. It's similar to I come from a sales background working with B2B, but a lot, a lot of people get lost in that sauce around it's business, 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 business. Yes, it's business. And you're trying to acquire sales, but this person at the end of the day, they're a human being and you're, people are doing business with other people. So when you're talking to an individual, just like you know how you would feel in a certain situation or you've been around enough individuals to understand that person's personality type and what communication style they like to be communicated with. So when you're talking to, when I'm out networking and I'm talking to somebody and I'm talking about the services we offer, identifying um, what needs we can fill for them, I really look at uh, how are we meshing when we're, when we're communicating with each other. And at the end of the day, being an expert at what you're talking about and making it make sense for them. So when you're really gearing your pro product or service to that individual, you have to really know your, your product or service in and out and how that service can help their need and be able to convey that message to the common folk. So I would say that would be the, the beginner, the start of all interaction yeah. when it comes to networking. Yeah, and even like I think like reading the room too, because it's it, it's a vibe thing. So for me, I try to mirror the person that I'm talking to. So if they ask me some something that I deem to be somewhat a personal question, then I'll reciprocate and ask them as well. But in networking interactions, I try to be more of a listener than a speaker. I agree with that. Um, listening is very powerful in networking and sales. A lot of a lot of sales I've I've had big sales have come from me listening 80% of the time and gearing my message towards exactly what they told me they needed based off how our service can, can help them. Mm. So if you didn't listen, listen to that individual, you wouldn't have got those key key nuggets that they're giving you in order to help you close that. So. Mm. Yeah. And, and yeah, I can attest to that as well, too. I think uh, one of the, the most valuable lessons I've taken from Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people, right? One of the chapters, I remember there was one where he was commended on being the best conversationalist. And then when he like really dug deep into it, he didn't really say much. It was more just listening and asking questions about the person and showing interest. Yeah. yeah it's because, uh, you know, one of the when I first graduated university, one of the first things I heard from people were when you go for information, informational, it's going well when you let the other person speak, you know, and that, you know, if you, if you're someone who's receptive to listening or receptive to coaching or whatever it is that people will want you around. Right. So I think that's, yeah, it's extremely powerful advice for sure. One thing that we can touch on uh, because this is more of a fun topic is like, what do you guys see uh, in terms of networking that, that doesn't work well um, and some maybe maybe malpractices or, or mistakes that people make in terms of networking that um, does, you know, doesn't help them 
move along. I think one example that comes to mind is, I'm sure you guys have seen it, the most random LinkedIn message ever. So someone will be like, yo, like I'm a chicken farmer in Sierra Leone. Like I took a look at your profile, found some very interesting things. I would love for you to be part of my network, right? And I'm using an extreme example, but um, I feel like sometimes people are sincere in terms of wanting to connect, but there's no like purpose or reason or like, basically they don't lay out what, why it's beneficial for both of you to connect, right? So in the example that I use, there's like nothing connecting us in terms of personal interests or endeavors. So like, what do you guys think in terms of like things that people should avoid when it comes to networking? Like I would say like <clears throat> talking to someone without having a strategy. Like, you know, don't just try to talk to someone just for the sake of talking to them. What do you want to get out of the interaction? Like, and this is something I kind of had to learn through trial and error. There's times where I just met people and I just handed them my business card and I'll look back. It's like, why did I hand that to them? Like, what was I hoping <laughs> to get out of doing that? So I yeah. started to learn, okay, have more of a strategy in place, I guess, where I can have where I can have more meaningful connections with people as opposed to just handing out for the sake of handing out. Because usually when you hand someone a business card, it ends up in their back pocket, which eventually ends up in the garbage or it ends up in their cup holder, which eventually ends up in the garbage. So have a strategy in place, I would say. Yeah, I was going to add to the same thing too. It's like, I, that was like I mentioned when I was opening up this topic about like lessons I've learned along the way. I think the power of intentionality is like so important. So like even working in a corporate setting, like, and even in sales to some degree, Whittle, you probably agree with this because um, you've worked in B2B in the past before you started your own company. But like this idea of like, oh, we got to go for the most senior person. You know, that's what conventional wisdom tells us. Like we go for the most senior person and then we close the deal from there, right? And you typically will reach out to someone senior without giving it much thought. There's no intentionality behind the end and it falls short and you're wondering why. So I think it's so important to like, to Yusuf's point, have that strategy, but also being intentional. What are you hoping to take away from the conversation? And then what are you also planning to give to, right? Because I think the, the give is always the most important because you want someone to take away or you want some, you want the person on the other side to take something away from it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a lot of individuals come into our interaction, which is the wrong way to go about it. What can I get as, as opposed to what value they can give to the other person when they focus on providing that value and understanding what they can charge for that value they provide and truly believing that their, their product or service can solve that person's problem, then they can come to come into a situation uh, more confident and less needy. Like a lot of individuals come into uh, a networking setting. They're like, I'm going to, they just look at a bunch of people, like a bunch of dollar signs, but really understanding what they can do to help those individuals. And also touching on the senior individuals, when I was working in corporate, I would walk into some facilities and the who you think is the gatekeeper at, up front is the owner's wife. And you probably thinking this person's insignificant and you're like, man, I need to talk to the owner 
But if you mistreated the person at the front desk, which is his wife, you're not going to get the business because she's going to tell her, her husband, hey, don't do business with him because he was rude. He was not. He didn't listen to me. He was just I didn't like him. You didn't give me a good vibe. So you have to treat. There's a saying that treat the janitor just like you would treat the CEO. Yeah. It's, in, in essence, it's really the, the gatekeeper that was the decision maker, though. Having a more defined ask, like, oh, I've, I've seen your, <clears throat> you have some experience here. I'm really interested to expand my knowledge. I have a few direct questions for you around X, Y, and Z topic. And then allowing the person to like either say, yeah, I can, I can speak to you or this person is better to speak to uh, works a lot better than this like broad random ask. Like sometimes some be, someone will say like, I have interest in the financial sector. And it's like, what is that? Like, you know, like what, what part of the financial sector? Someone may come to me and be like, I have interest in being an entrepreneur. And it's like, okay, but like what interests you in becoming an entrepreneur, you know? So like having, Doing the homework helps you a lot. Yeah, I want to add to that because I remember one time I was doing like a book showcase. And then this guy just comes up to me and he sees my books. He picks it up, puts it down, and he puts his business card on the table. He's like, yeah, man, I write too. You should check out my work. And he just walks off. <laughs> I'm like, I, like, bro, man, I have to actually gather my thoughts. Like, I don't even know your name. <laughs> like, you might have just met Banksy, bro. <laughs> bro, I just I was like, I don't even know your name. Like, what am I checking out? You gave me nothing to work with. And you could probably guess where that business card ended up, right? So straight to the trash? Or or is it a bounce pass or it, it went right in? Bro, <laughs> it went right in, bro. It didn't even make it to the back pocket, went straight to the garbage, bro. <laughs> That's why you don't know his name. Okay, I'm excited to now get into our, our main topics. And the first of our main topics is on conspiracy theories. Now, a conspiracy theory can be defined as a theory asserting that a secret of great importance is being kept from the public. Now, with conspiracy theories, we love them, we hate them, we're intrigued by them. And I think that the pandemic has accelerated the rate of conspiracy theories that we hear today from everything to do with 5G to COVID-19 to election fraud to vaccines to wearing masks. And there's a ton of research out there that explains why some people cling to them. Now, one psychologist out of the Polish Academy of the Sciences suggested that people use, or as people, we have a tendency to use cognitive shortcuts. Um, so these are rules of thumbs that are super unconscious to help us with making decisions faster, um, but also to determine what we should believe in. And as humans also, we crave closure and closing the loop on things. Like we don't like things being open um, and, and unsolved for. And, and you know, in, in a time where there's so much uncertainty, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a sense of disorder, there's a sense of unclarity. And so we tend to use these cognitive shortcuts and this craving for closure to make sense of the world. And of course, conspiracy theories offer, you know, a casual and simplistic explanation of very complex things. Batter would love to get your 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 take on this or your input on this, but you know how do you think about conspiracy theories, and do you think there is some merit to some that are presented, or are you more of a the type to stick with the complex facts, understand it before making a conclusion? Well, I think it's it's difficult to kind of say like how do I interpret that because I know I don't I like I know 
um, that certain things are maybe too outlandish to believe. Um, but then from another perspective, like there's one thing, I, one guy I knew growing up, he, he threw this in my face. He said, you know, they persecuted Copernicus and Galileo thinking that, you know, the sun rotates around the earth, right? You know, how do you, you know, our concept of reality is only what we know, right? Everything's a theory, right? And I said, okay, fair, that's, that's fair. It's a fair point. Um, but you know, I've also heard that my my uh, birth certificate is a is a banknote and it's uh, redeemable by the Federal Reserve in the United States. Like I've heard some pretty outlandish things, right? So um, so I don't know. I'd love to get other people's perspective on this because it's hard to counter someone who is objecting to the facts. Basically, you know, like what you know as fact, they are objecting facts. So um, it gets at a trickier conversation with where it's just you know whose whose beliefs are more believable right um which is in the absence of fact it makes it a very difficult conversation to have right so just to piggyback off that there was there was a study i was looking at um by ted Gertzel from rutgers university and he said that people who believed in one conspiracy were more likely to believe in others and he correlated them with anomia so like uh just having a lot of struggling with recall because of all the information that people keep in their heads, um, lack of interpersonal trust and insecurity about employment. There's there's factors that he says lead to black and Hispanic respondents in his study being more likely to believe in conspiracy theories than white respondents um, and young people more likely than older people. Um, but he said there were few correlations with gender, education level, or occupational category. And I find it interesting because I think people who have been mistreated by the government or institutions have more of a likelihood to not trust in these institutions. And some people like would shrug it off and, 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 and say, for example, like, oh, this person's thinking crazy. Like I went to a barber recently who was talking about like how Oh, they, they just want to crush um, the businesses on our street. It's a conspiracy to get us all out. Um, they want to like gentrify that neighborhood. They've been meaning to, and like probably not, right? We're in a global pandemic. It's it, it's probably not a, you know, um, tactic by the government to get his specific business out, but you can start to see where his thought process is. And I always thought that was interesting about conspiracies. Usually the person has like something that they feel was wrong that they use as the basis. So intellectuals can think that they're like crazy and oh, this person has like, this person just off their rocker kind of thing, but, um, if you sit down to listen, you understand like why they come up with these theories or why they subscribe to these theories in the first place. So I've always found that to be to be kind of interesting. I don't know if you guys have like are involved in WhatsApp groups. Oh yeah, yeah crazy, <laughs> craziest oh, yeah. things come up in there. Um, craziest things come up in there, and I find them to be very entertaining. I guess when you put it that way, it's it's hard not to or it's hard to fault them and you can't help but like empathize, right? Um, because there's, of course, there's a, a lack of trust people have in our institutions, the people that are governing our societies. I mean, you know, factually, like governments have 
introduced and implemented policies that you know aren't well thought out and then media which feels like it does more to sensationalize versus actually inform so mike it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting uh, with the conspiracy theories because there's so many out there and you know touching on you know why you know minorities and younger individuals may prescribe to believing in some of these uh conspiracy theories and it does make sense you know feeling like they've been mistreated by the government not trusting that they're being told the correct stuff or being misled uh as well as older individuals a lot of them are already you know they say you can't take an old dog new tricks they're already pretty much locked in uh what they believe in what they they feel like the world should should be like so it makes sense why a lot of those individuals don't go with any of those or are less likely to go with those conspiracy theories yusuf what's your stance like should we like from your opinion or from your viewpoint should we be willing to have an open mind to some thoughts and concerns shared by people with quote unquote advocate or either believe in conspiracy theories and from your opinion what would uh, effective dialogue look like for someone who might think, for example, that COVID-19 was created in a lab? I think <clears throat> I'm going to kind of go through your question like in reverse. So I'm going to answer the one you asked about what would it look like. So I think we need to, I guess, stop using the word conspiracy theorists because it has a negative connotation to it. Sometimes it's used dismissively, right? Like when someone says something that's a little bit different and go against the grain, oh, that person's just a conspiracy theorist. And we think of the guy in the basement in the tinfoil hat mm-hmm. who just says a whole bunch of reckless things, right? But sometimes it could just be someone holds a different perspective than you. So I think, especially in these times now, it's okay to keep an open mind and listen to different perspectives. Ultimately, when you get new information, it's just about using discernment and your own better judgment of what resonates with you and what doesn't. Exchanging dialogue with a conspiracy theorist doesn't mean you have to change your entire worldview and see things the way they do. It's just try to understand where that person might be coming from. You know, I can like even give some examples. Like I remember when this COVID pandemic started and then I was hearing from like a year ago this time, oh, they're going to introduce vaccine passports. That sounds so sinister, but when you look now globally, it's being implemented. So when you keep an open mind, you might start to see certain things. You might start to notice it doesn't mean you have to change your viewpoint, but it's just making a mental note that, okay, this is the information that's out there. And that's it. You know, when I think when it starts, when we start putting titles on people, this person's a conspiracy theorist, I think it becomes dismissive. And when you dismiss a message, you're ultimately also dismissing the messenger. And I don't know, and I don't always think to have meaningful dialogue, that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I want I want to um, use an example. So if you guys remember, if you've heard of the Tuskegee syphilis study, this comes to mind sometimes. Um, yeah. when, when I think about like people who believe in conspiracy theories, it was a study run from 1932 to 1972 by the U.S. uh, Public Health Service. And basically what they did was they wanted to observe like how untreated syphilis would carry out in terms of um, its effects on people. And they gathered African-American men 
um, to participate in the study, and they told them they would they would receive free healthcare from the federal government, but they weren't. They they did not. Sorry, receive that. So when people think, oh, like why would the government do anything to you, or why why does this person think like the government's always out to get them? I'm sure there are a number of examples where government agencies have done like sinister things, um, sometimes under the table and, 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 and what we're seeing in Georgia right now, like um, voter suppression laws, sometimes like right in your face, right? Um, so I think it's, it's, it's more of a topic that's topical to like minority communities um, because um, to, to us, sometimes we feel up is, up is down and, and left is right. And I, I wanted to ask Woodley um, in terms of the states and, and people's relationship, Black people's relationship with like the federal government or, or trust in government. Do you find that conspiracy theories are more prevalent? Like are, are we just assuming that they're more prevalent or, or in your experience, like you, you see that distrust a lot? I would say there, there's a disproportion sometimes. And it really goes with not only the African-American, it's more so geared around wealth and poverty as well. So the, the African-Americans who are less fortunate tend to segue more to not favoring the government or not believing in what's going on, which as you can see, a lot of high net worth individuals, they, it's not that like they dislike the government in totality, but some of them are less bashing of the government because some of the policies that are being put in are favorable to their businesses and other stuff of that nature. So you've seen, you probably seen in the news last year, a lot of political uprising for like the Black Lives Matters movement and different stuff like that. And that's stemmed around more of the mis, you know, just direct perspective. You have the media continually to pound it, and the individuals experiencing that mistreatment as well and lack of opportunities. So the the gap between the haves and have-nots has, I feel like, it's continuing to grow, and the minorities, more specifically you know, Black African-Americans are feeling like they're being left behind and increasing their, their wealth. I, I, I feel like that's breeding a lot of the distrust because a lot of their basic needs sometimes are, are not met. And I kind of want to add a little something to that in terms of like mainstream media, right? I always, you always have to look at, you always have to follow the money. So with mainstream media, they're, a lot of their funding comes from corporations. So they're only going to dispel, it's very likely they're going to dispel messages that are favorable to the corporations, right? They have to, like, they cannot just go out there and say freely whatever they would want to say. There has to be a certain level of decorum and conduct that they need to have on camera, right? So I think when you rely too much on mainstream media, you could be misinformed. But then when you look too much towards alternate, alternative media, you could also be misinformed. I think it's just kind of about using your judgment and seeing what resonates with you and what does it. Because like, I remember one time someone tried a conversation with me and told me that, oh, you know, Prince is still alive. 
I'm not going to entertain that kind of conversation <laughs> because it's, yeah, it's not exactly. rooted. Like, I'm Why not, not? Like, you might be around. Like, like, He's with Tupac. <laughs> like, those are not Cuba. hills that I'm, like, those are not hills I'm willing to die on. Or, like, I'm not going to entertain those kind of conversations. Maybe they have merit to them. I just, it doesn't impact my life. I just don't care. Yeah. So this yeah. is where judgment and discernment kind of comes from. So yeah. you have to be able to, I guess, decipher what is meaningful information versus what isn't. No, I was just going to say, like, just getting back to what you, you said, Hirsch, about, you know, the, the talk about the, the vaccine, right? And I think uh, you brought up a good point. Like, you got to kind of make this distinction about between, like, what's a conspiracy and what's distrust, right? Yeah. Um, like, not trying to dismiss maybe like inherent distrust, like you brought up as well, the Tuskegee syphilis study, right? And, you know, uh, there was uh, a recent uh, article about, you know, they asked LeBron James about whether he, or not he's going to take the vaccine. And, you know, everyone Ooh. is responsible basically, well, this is not for me to discuss publicly. And everyone took that, oh, he's an anti-vaxxer, right? Not understanding yeah. that there's this underlying kind of inherent um, systemic oppression that happened around vaccines and around kind of the medical community and their approach to black people right so yeah, yeah. um i think it's like the more you know the less that things seem to be a conspiracy or seem to be behind the veil um yeah and you know it's same same here in canada like they, they don't really teach you about like the first settlers like what what they did to people who are already here they, they you make you think that like canada was empty when they showed up right so they're maybe this inherent distrust, right? That mm -hmm. people, certain people or certain oppressed people might have towards government or the narratives that they say, right? So, yeah. yeah. I remember there was a guy who thought the earth was flat and he took, uh, I think a homemade rocket, strapped himself to a homemade rocket and ended up killing himself um, in the pursuit of like, ex of showing that the earth was flat. <laughs> um, and then, Sometimes people like, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, if you listen to a Jay-Z record backwards, it has like the, um, the, there's some like devil speak or something like that. And yeah. you think to yourself like, why, why are you listening to a Jay-Z record backwards? <laughs> but you see, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up because like, you see, this is why I don't really knock conspiracy theorists too much because, you know, the thing with art is it's open to interpretation, right? so it's not right. like whenever so art it's however you consume it that's how you perceive it right yeah that's so true. i a think a conclusion to make it's a fair conclusion to make yeah yeah, yeah. Like, it's like <laughs> that is <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to our second main topic uh workplace relationships in the same office Ooh, drama now according to a study done by adp one third actually of working canadians have been romantically involved with a co-worker and i'm sure there's a similar stat out there that's applicable to the united states and of course this statistic isn't surprising you think about and you consider the fact that before people get into a relationships how close in proximity they are with with them before starting a relationship you're spending 40 hours with these people you're likely to see them often you're on projects together you both understand and have in common the different nuances of the workplace you might end up in some cases being vulnerable around them and yet there's still companies that you know enforce policies that prohibit office romances you know Woodley you know as someone who is a student like I'd mentioned of body language energy in the personal and professional settings when is it a bad idea to engage in a relationship with your coworker? that's a loaded question right there you know if you're not mature enough 
I would say it's it would be a, a bad idea, period, because it's gonna make the workplace awkward, uh, especially if you know something goes sour. But I would say personally, you know, it is best to not cross that line because you're able to maintain that professional decorum with the individuals and keep business business. But you know, if you're you feel convicted to go and pursue something, I wouldn't tell somebody not to follow their heart, mm -hmm. but definitely use discretion and know where your maturity level is. And you know, that other person has to evaluate where their maturity level is as well. Yeah, it's something you probably have to observe yourself too, right? Like in, mm -hmm. if you're spending 40 hours a week with this person, I'm sure a telling sign could be like how they respond or how they act when it comes to other things that happen at work. Let's say they introduce this new change and the person on the other side is just like flipping out and over dramatic. So if that's if that's how they're responding to something related to work, imagine what happens in the event the relationship doesn't pan out. Exactly. And that that puts your livelihood at risk. That puts their livelihood at risk. And you don't want that. You don't want to mess up your money over not being able to control yourself. It's a good point. I think maturity definitely plays a factor into that. I think there's a couple of things. One is the proximity you have to that person. I would say it's probably unwise if you directly manage the person, um, just because of the power dynamics. You should, yeah. as a general rule of thumb, we we're all human we, we all get affected by emotion so you could be in a place where you're treating them either unfavorably because you guys are not getting along or you actually like mistreat the other workers because you favor them so much so direct managerial scenarios i would say uh, it's pretty much a no-go for that um that is my opinion by the way the caveat is it's my opinion the other one is more general to how big your workplace is. So for the organization that I work for, we have 80,000 employees. They're all over the globe. You know, who knows? Maybe you talked to someone in the US, you found interest in someone in the US or the UK or, or Australia or what, what, what not, or you've seen each other and you casually, you know, build up a rapport. That could happen anywhere. Um, you guys just so happen to work for the same company. So I, I wouldn't think that would get too messy because from that point, you probably don't work directly with them. The thing to think about uh, for anybody considering this is what is your worst case scenario? So if it doesn't work out, if you guys don't like each other, sometimes the relationships end pretty fiery. So if that happens, like, are you at risk to lose your job? Are you, are you at risk to just make the whole situation awkward? You don't want a situation where people have to decide between you and this coworker, like, who do I like? Who am I going to talk to? Yeah. My personal thing is I've always tried to keep, you know, my workplace, my workplace, and always try to keep relationships outside of my workplace. So that's just the way I find it. Yeah, it's best not to take a dump where you eat. <laughs> that's how I look at it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> you know, I'm writing that down as we speak. That's very profound, yeah. But yeah, to your point, Hershey, if a guy who ends up, who's in Toronto, ends up, you know, getting to know a girl that's based in New York, in that example, I think uh, all is kosher. But yeah, if like you're closely connected with someone and you connect with them often, what's at jeopardy is like your career conversations, uh, water cooler conversations, or virtual water cooler conversation since we live in a, in a remote world. If that's at jeopardy, then you, you might want to think twice. Remember, I used to work back in the day security for like some corporate spot. 
And then follow security guards would be like, yo, I caught this person having an affair with this person in the stairway and then this and then that, like break room and whatnot. So people get into like heated situations even outside of what we think of as like the beginnings of a relationship, right? So maintaining that border, maintaining that boundary would probably do best. Worst case scenario happens, you're in more trouble than it's worth. I don't know if you guys ever heard like these phrases, but like, you know, workplace husbands and that kind of stuff and like work wives. Oh, yeah. So it's like they use these terms jokingly, but, you know, there's always a little bit of truth behind every joke. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what if your what if your wife came to you Yusuf, and said, uh, I have lunch with my workplace husband? too"? <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I'm not married, but. You see, that's one of my biggest fears. And then now oh, that's where it's like, and see, that's, be it, it becomes issue. a problem. Like, it becomes a problem. Like, that's a conversation you need to have. Like, there's this one article actually I was reading about. It's called micro-cheating. So wow. you guys should look into it, actually. It's a very common thing. It's called micro-cheating. So it's not the full act of cheating, but it's the whole, oh, I'm texting a friend or I'm texting a co-worker at work. So it's kind of like, you have to set that boundary where it's like, hey, listen, you know, you don't want to be controlling, but at the same time, you want to set that standard. You want to set that boundary. Like, you know, these like these workplace relationships are not appropriate to have. And this is kind of worst case scenario, but, you know, it can happen. Like, let's just say you and your wife are at odds and you're arguing. Now she goes to this guy at work and she starts venting to him like yeah. he could be a Derek Jackson type dude and say, oh, he's not a good guy. He's doing this. And now it, it, it becomes a messy situation. It's best to nip these things in the bud while you can. But yeah, look it up. Um, Micro cheating. It's a very, uh, it's very common, but it's also an interesting topic. Me and my wife, we have a good understanding. I don't think we, we do any of the sort. We're talking about workplace husband, workplace wife. No. <laughs> that would work at all. Also, none, none of that. Yeah, none of that. Also, I work with people that are pretty much way older than me, and so does she. So it's like there's no threats in the vicinity. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no silver foxes. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm just saying, like, I agree with you. So, like, there's got to be boundaries, regardless. <laughs> you get yourself in a tricky situation. Like, I've been on the side where. Like, I've never been in a workplace relationship, but I've been working with people who are in a workplace relationship. It's their business, not in my business, but my business is my business, right? So mm. that's when it becomes, like, a problem for me. But other than that, like, I'm glad I never had to deal with that sort of situation or a messy situation. So that's a nada from you. What about you, Woodley? That's a dead theory. <laughs> <laughs> right there. Not Looks like there's that. a universal consensus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the thing is, the thing is, though, like, I feel like for all of us, if we're opposed to it, we're opposed to being portrayed as that, you know? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't even want a woman to like refer to me as her workplace husband or whatever, you know? Because the examples I've seen, when it goes left, it goes left. And it just causes all that awkwardness, right? Like, Oh, yeah, seriously. I'm sure you guys at the end of relationships sometimes be like, okay, have a nice life, you know? Like you probably yeah. don't want to see that person for a long time, but then... You don't look back at it. AM and they're right there taking the elevator with you, you know? So Yeah. And, and then maybe there's nothing going like it's done. Like whatever is done is done between them. There's no drama. It's just like there's just unnecessary friction that's created. It's like, oh, shoot, they're in the same elevator together. What could be happening here? <laughs> and you know that show, The Office, right? So, see, everyone looks at a Jim and Pam, right? Yeah, yeah. But you got to look back to that episode where she was with Roy. 
<laughs> and then Roy came up to the office and he tried to fight Jim. So <laughs> it's like, do you really want to create that kind of dynamic for yourself? Is best listen. You don't use the bathroom in your kitchen. Yeah, you just <laughs> keep your life. Just keep your life. You're just dropping the nuggets. <laughs> Tom was trifling though at times. Yeah, yeah. Angela was trifling. We don't, come on, Tom. Oh, Angela was trifling. We won't get into that. <laughs> I think the key word here is discretion. Discretion because you definitely have to evaluate that situation because that could end up being somebody's wife that is at the workplace. So they never, they didn't shoot that shot or, you know, pursue that. And then they just missed out. But you have to use immense discretion in that yeah. situation. It's best not to, you know, but you have to really evaluate everybody's situations a little different. Gentlemen, this was this was fun. This was fun. Thank you, Woodley and Yusuf, for, for joining us today. A lot of gems. Yusuf, you want to repeat some of the gems you dropped today? I don't know if you guys allow curse words on your podcast, so I, I refrain from oh, using it. Oh, yeah. Go for it, bro. <laughs> don't, Go for it. <laughs> don't shit where you eat. You don't use your bathroom in your kitchen. Use discernment and judgment when receiving information. If someone wants to argue with you, Prince, Tupac, Michael Jackson is alive, just exit that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And one last thing too I'm going to leave people with is don't fall prey to the burden of perfection and the burden of expectation. Okay. Uh, perfection is yeah, what we yeah. want. It's what we want from ourselves. You you'll never be able to live up to it. So don't even bother striving for perfection to strive to get better. For expectation is what other people want from you. You'll never be able to satisfy other people's wants. So don't even burden yourself with other people's expectations. Just have personal standards. I'll leave the listeners with those things. And thank you guys for having me on your podcast. Appreciate it. Woodley, please leave us with some some wise words for our listeners related to your expertise? I would say definitely feel out the vibe when you're going out networking. If you're a business, you're you're inside your office place, use discernment and discretion when thinking about pursuing somebody at the workplace or getting involved, as well as when you're you're out and about, you, you definitely have to understand what you believe in and stick with that and Letting in new ideas, you, you definitely have to vet those out before you just start embodying that. I'll leave them with that. For our listeners, thank you for tuning into today's episode. And as always, we, we love your feedback on how we can make this a better listening experience. Please leave your comments on our page at the Say Word podcast. As always, we hope you found this insightful. We hope you laughed. We hope you learned a thing or two. We hope we made you think. And we look forward to having you join us for our next episode. If you enjoyed what you heard on today's episode of Say Word, please comment, share, and subscribe. Three simple steps for support go along.